0: As we remain standing, let us hear the reading of the Word of God that will be the basis of today's sermon and it's taken from John chapter 13, verse 18 to verse 20. Here is the word of the Lord. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples look at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. There was a song that was very popular many years ago. If you uh, were about my age, you may know this song. It's called Simply Why, and it's written by, I guess, one of the most talented Christian artists, writer, and singer called Michael Cart. And here is the lyric that you can follow on the screen. Why did it have to be a friend who chose to betray the Lord? Why did he use a kiss to show them? That's not what a kiss is for. Only a friend can betray a friend. A stranger has nothing to gain. And only a friend comes close enough to ever cause so much pain. Have you ever betrayed by a friend? I have, a few times actually. And these were friends in the Christian ministry. Not in this church, but in the previous Christian ministry I was involved in. And each betrayal was very painful. Once I was betrayed by someone whom I trust, who stabbed me from the back? He created a list of things that I've never done and reported me to a senior church leader behind my back. And then we were in the same meeting. And to the horror of this friend, the senior leader in an open meeting told everyone that it was him who reported me the things that were completely fabricated. Now I felt hurt, so much hurt, because of this Christian friend, but I also felt hurt because of the senior church leader who knowingly created church politics by using this defy and conquer tactic. It took me months to recover from that betrayal. But friends, the pain that I experience is almost like a mossy bite compared to what Jesus must have experienced when he dealt with the treachery of Judas. Now, you may be familiar with this famous story, the greatest treachery in all of human history. If you have been with us for the entire uh, year, last year, you would know that we are going through the Gospel of John. Now, what's interesting uh, where we are now is that, do you know that John wrote the first 12 chapters to cover the first three plus years of Jesus' ministry. And then he wrote six chapters to cover just one night, one night of Jesus' ministry. That's from John chapter 13 through to 16. This is the part that is known in church history as the upper room discourse, the farewell discourse, where Jesus gave his last words, his very last teaching exclusively to the group of disciples. No one else was there. And that's why we are now in the inner sanctum. We are standing on holy ground, listening to what our Savior said before he went to the cross. And that's why we have to read very carefully, treat this text with care and respect that it deserves. Now on the service level, Jesus was just having an intimate meal with his beloved friends, with his 12 disciples before he faced the violence of arrest, torture and crucifixion. But during that meal, we learn about Jesus' acute awareness of the impending betrayal of Judas that most wicked traitor who betrayed the Lord with a kiss. It was a tragic, poignant drama between Jesus and Judas, witnessed by the other disciples. And Jesus knew from the very beginning that Judas' treachery is the catalyst that begins the process of him being arrested and crucified, the very purpose for which he came to the world. Now, you can almost feel, as you read the passage with me before, there was a dark cloud that enveloped the scene in that upper room where Jesus had the Last Supper with his disciples. Let's now look at this text under the three subheadings, the traitor, the devil, and the saviour. The traitor, the devil, and the saviour. Let's look at the first one, the traitor. The slide there shows the relevant verses that we're going to focus on. And in this subheading, we're going to meet the traitor within. Now, if you're a Christian, typically when we read passages like this, we think, well, that's Judas. That's not me. I'm not like him. I'm a good Christian. I've been trying very hard to follow Jesus. I would never do what Judas did. Friends, if that's your attitude this morning, let me zoom in on verse 21 and 22 and try to read this text existentially, i.e., we want to understand what's going on in the minds of the disciples as these things unfolded before their very eyes. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then look at verse 22. The disciples look at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. See, this is the most interesting part, intriguing, Revelation that perhaps you may have missed in your Bible reading. The disciples did not know whom Jesus meant. There was a shockwave across the room. They were perplexed, they were stunned because they had no idea whom Jesus was talking about. Now of course Jesus knew there was Judas who would betray him. Of course he knew. He knew that from the very beginning. In fact, he quoted in verse 18, Psalm 41, verse nine. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. That was from Psalm 41. So he, he knew that it was prophesied that someone would betray him. And that's why he's now telling the disciples so that the disciples knew that I am he, that he is the son of God, ego ami. But what's interesting is that the disciples did not know that it was Judas that Jesus was saying. Friends, Jesus never mentioned that Judas would betray him until now. Just imagine, if had Jesus openly revealed what he knew about Judas, it is very likely that the disciples would have turned on him. Peter would have drawn his sword and perhaps ended the life of Judas. No, uh, Jesus never told them what Judas would do until now. And Jesus said, one of you would betray me. What do you think the disciples had uh, in their mind? They must have thought, oh no. Please don't let it be me. They did not know that it would not be them, but they only can hope that it would not be them. But they cannot be certain for sure. So there was a silence, like you can hear a pin drop when Jesus said, one of you would betray me. See, here is my point, friends. Each one of us in this room, we have been Christians for so long. When Jesus said, one of you will betray me, the disciples themselves thought, could it be me? Oh Lord, please let it not be me. Because they're not sure whether they have done something that would betray Jesus. And suddenly in that silence, as usual, Simon Peter broke that silence and asked John, who was sitting next to Jesus, to inquire him, John, why don't you ask Jesus whom he meant? He was like whispering to John. And then Jesus gave the signal to John, perhaps unheard by the other disciples. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this bread when I dip it. So he dipped the bread, the morsel, he gave it to Judas. Now Jesus would have been, you need to understand the setting of that uh, Last Supper, everyone was reclining on their left elbow like this so that the free, the the right hand was free to to give the bread. So when John sitting on uh, Jesus' right, Jesus' right hand can dip the bread and then give The person on his left, and in that in that case, that the person on sitting on Jesus' left was Judas. Now what's interesting, if you look at that passage carefully, even after Jesus said, It is to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it, the disciples still did not know whom Jesus meant. Because they thought that Jesus asked Judas to buy some bread for the Passover festival, or that he should give some of the money to the poor as it was customary at the time. They did not know. See, they did not say, hmm, you know, we've been thinking that something is off with Judas. Because, you know, when we went out and minister in the name of Jesus, we cast out demons, Jesus is demon, Judas' demon did not come out. They did not say that. They did not have any suspicion that it was going to be Judas. What it really meant, here is the point that I want to get across. Judas looked like everyone else. He looked like every single one of us, a Christian who does serve the Lord. He had been casting out demons. He had been healing the sick because he got all that spiritual gifts that were enjoyed by the other disciples as well. So I chose this title, the sermon titled this, this morning, The Traitor Within. And what I meant was not only the traitor within the band of disciples of Jesus, but the traitor within each one of us. Friends, we all carry the seeds of our own destruction. There was a guy called Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the survivor of the Russian concentration camp, a man-made hell, devised by someone called Stalin, one of the world-class tyrants. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn survived that gulag, and his, in, in, in his book, 300,000 Uh, word book called the Gulag Archipelago. He wrote something that is so insightful about the human heart. This is what he wrote. Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating the good and evil passes not through the states, not between classes, not between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. And even in the best of all hearts, there remains an uh, unrooted small corner of evil. Within each and every single one of us, there's that small corner of evil in our hearts. So if you want to get rid of evil, you're going to have to obliterate the person, the individual. Christian brothers and sisters, let me ask you this morning, point blank, out of loving heart, do you have that small corner of evil in your heart that makes you a traitor to Jesus? Do you have the traitor within your heart? to just love his money and maybe we also love money and serves the God of money instead of Jesus. And because of that, we become traitor to Jesus because the craving of money and material possessions is the core scene that can be the trigger for other symptomatic sins, such as anxiety. The people who love money, they get anxious a lot. Other sins like theft, compulsive shopping, murder, jealousy, marital discord, sense of inferiority or superiority, comparing self to others, even sexual immorality that trading sex for material advantages, and, and, and so many other sins caused by one thing, love of money. And because of that, we become traitor to Jesus. So this morning, I would like to invite you to meet that traitor within, within each one of us and know your sins so that we can repent more intelligently this morning. The second point that I would like to focus on is the devil. Because when we think that in that upper room there were 13 people sitting there, the 12 disciples and Jesus, there was actually another being that was also there, Satan himself. He had been present to enter into Judas. And this is the only time John mentioned the name of the devil, Satan. And what I want you to pay attention to is the progression of how Satan operated within Judas's heart. And not only in Judas, but in each one of us. Here is the, the process, you know, the, the, the scheme, the strategy with which Satan influenced, and defeated Christians across all ages. In John 13:2, last week, if you remember, there was a verse that reads like this. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And then in verse 27, which we just read, Satan entered into him. As soon as... Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So in verse 2, sin is crouching at the door. In verse 27, sin is inside. It's behind that door. Judas was no longer influenced by Satan. He was completely controlled by Satan. And Satan came in the form of greed. In verse 2, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas that, that idea to betray Jesus. Now I want you to think about that first for a minute, verse 2. When did Satan put that idea in Judas's heart? In that upper room. In the presence of Jesus. Have you noticed that? All these years, I missed that part. When Satan had put that idea in Judas' heart to betray Jesus, that took place in the presence of Jesus. Jesus was sitting at the head table, and Judas was sitting in the same table around Jesus. And there and then, Satan had that idea placed in Judas' heart. Friends... There is no place too sacred from the instruction of Satan. He is everywhere, even in church services like right now. As you listen to the word of God, Satan might work roaming around the room and planted ideas in your hearts, in your head. Because if he did it to Judas in front of Jesus, there's no guarantee that he wouldn't do it now, here and now. And you know why Satan could enter into Judas? Because he opened the door to Satan. Judas had been stealing from the collective money back and because he kept that sin secret satan entered into him see judas was a thief he's like the christian chief financial officer at a christian not for profit organization who embezzled the donation money there are a few of them that have been announced in newspapers and we know that we know that judas was a thief from john 12:6 that told us that he was the keeper of the money bag and used to help himself to what was put into it. It is this lust for money that became the reason for his downfall. He was controlled by greed. And what's next? Well, he went, if you look at the parallel passage in Matthew 26, verse 15, it was recorded that he approached Jesus' enemies and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 26, 15. Now in Hebrew culture, 30 pieces of silver was not a lot of money. In fact, it was the exact price paid to the master of a slave if and when his slave was attacked by an an ox. You can read that in Exodus 21, 32. So that that amount of money is the exact price of a slave. That's how the religious leaders valued Jesus. And Judas made a deal with the chief priest and then sat down at our Lord's table with known sins that he would not confess. This is the Lord's Supper. He had a sin that he never confessed, that he was a thief. He kept stealing and he he was dealing and whining with the enemies, with the religious leaders, but he did not confess his sins and Satan entered even further into his life. Unconfessed sin always opened the door to Satan's power. Don't forget that. So, summary statement so far in the next slide, Satan does not care about your perfect commitment, ministry, experience, or theology as long as you live for something other than Jesus. As long as you live for something other than Jesus, money, fame, popularity, people's praises and opinions, as long as you live for all those things, no matter how much experience, theology, and ministry you had, Satan doesn't care. I mean, look at Judas. He had commitment. Total commitment to follow Jesus. Like the rest of the disciples, he left everything to follow the Lord. We have no biblical data to assume that he was not sincere and total in his commitment. He was sold out for Jesus. What about his ministry? Well, he was actively involved in the Christian ministry. He was given supernatural gifts, as I mentioned before. Apostle uh, Luke, or Dr. Luke, rather, wrote this, that Jesus gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal people, including Judas. So that tells us just because you are serving Christ does not mean that you belong to Christ. Let me repeat that again. Just because you are serving Jesus does not mean that you belong to Jesus What about experience Judas walked with Jesus for 3 years He saw the greatest life ever lived up close and personal He walked with Jesus every single day That's different from what you and I experience even though we have followed Jesus for maybe a decade maybe 3 decades but we never witnessed with our own eyes the miracles that Jesus did. Judas was there eating the bread and the fish that Jesus miraculously multiplied. He saw with his own eyes how Jesus raised Lazarus after he died for four days. See, you can't have a better evidence for faith than Judas did because he saw everything with his own eyes. His eyes had seen the clearest evidence for the faith in Christ. His ears had heard the finest teaching from the Son of God himself, and his feet had followed the every step of his master for three years. But lo and behold, he still betrayed the Lord. What about theology? There's a Puritan writer called Thomas Goodwin. And he wrote famously in his book, Judas heard every Christ's sermon. Every single time Jesus preached and taught, Judas was there, listening, maybe having the first row. Unlike most uh, Christians today, uh, he chose the first row. He heard warnings that Jesus gave about money in the parable of the Uh, uh, Jesus said, faith can be choked by deceitfulness of wealth. Judas listened to that. Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. Either you will hate the one and love the other. Judas heard all that. In the Sermon on, on the Mount, Jesus thought that there is a narrow road that leads to life and a broad road that leads to destruction. Jesus heard all that. But for Judas, Jesus perhaps only Lord in the head, in theory, but functionally, in daily practice, money was his Lord. That's why he sold Jesus in exchange for money. Friends, you can be a sermon junkie. You love chasing good sermons from popular preachers on the internet and spend your every free moment to listen to the best sermon on any passage that you like, and yet your deepest desires, the deepest desires of your hearts never change. It is possible, it exactly what had happened with Judas. Satan does not care about your perfect commitment, ministry, experience, or theology as long as you still live for something other than Jesus himself. See, Satan doesn't gain a foothold in the lives of people who are walking in the light with Jesus. He only gains access when you open the door to him. See, we are completely uh, wrong about our assumption on this. We always fear that Satan will somehow have secret access to God's children, to you. And then we doubt whether Jesus can do anything if a person doesn't want to open the door. But the Bible teaches completely the opposite. Jesus can open the door for your hearts even though you want it or you do not want it. Remember Lydia in Acts 16, 14, the Lord opened her heart. But Satan cannot do it. He cannot do it until you open the door for him. So this morning, if you have a moment where the Holy Spirit can fix you of your sin, you need to repent right away, right now. Today is the day of repentance and salvation, because once that fleeting moment is gone, you suck into that deeper vortex of sin. Do not delay, friends, because what makes you think that you can repent at will? if when the Holy Spirit can fix you, you don't want to change, you don't want to repent. And the final point that I want to share with you is the Savior, the Savior. See, when when Jesus saying that one of you will betray me, it was recorded that he was troubled in spirit. Now, Troubled in spirit is a very strong term. It means to be torn into pieces. He wasn't just disturbed, he wasn't just stirred up in his heart, but he was completely torn in pieces. He was not detached, you know, like saying, you know what, this was inevitable, so be it. If this is what God's will looks like, so be it. He was not like that, he was not stoic about Jesus' betrayal, and on the other hand, he was not throwing tantrums and getting offended. What have you done? What are you going to do, Judas? After all, I've done for you. He wasn't like that, but he was torn into pieces. And this gives us something important about the heart of our Savior. Every sin we commit is something that will break his heart. Every sin is deeply Relational Sin is not just breaking moral law. Sin is not just breaking the rule of God. Sin is hurting the heart of God. So if you are not a Christian this morning, if you're not sure that you are a Christian and you said, well, I'm not religious, but I'm, I'm a good person. You know, I don't Still, I live, honestly, I... I Give to the poor, you know, I, I, I tithe, I, I, I do contribute to the Lord's work, so I'm not that religious, but at, at times I do that. Tim Keller had this uh, analogy that I thought is quite good. He said, uh, there's a poor widow who had a son, only child, and she teaches him to be good, to always tell the truth, work hard, help the poor, and so on. And she sacrificed every single thing to get him through college. She makes no money. She spends nothing on herself. She works incredibly long hours so that her son, her only son, can get through college. And finally he got through college, he got a degree, he got a job, he got a very nice job and very successful. But he never talks to his mom. Now, obviously, he admits the existence of a mother. He said, Oh, yeah, I believe there is a mother to me, and I know, and I send her a Christmas card every year, but he never goes to see her, never cares for her, never loves her, he never gives her the relationship that he owes. And to this person, You might say, how incredibly selfish this young man because he owes her everything, right? It's not enough for him to tell the truth, to work hard to help the poor because if it were not for his mom, he wouldn't be able to do all that. Now this man would be morally, ethically, righteous in his life, but that's not the way to live his life. See, we are like that young man. When we sin, we're not only breaking God's law, we we trample on the relationship because we owe everything to God. That ability for us to work and to do anything in our lives, we owe him far more than that young man out his mother. So that's why Jesus was not stoic nor shocked at Judas, but he was torn in pieces because his heart is so bounded with your heart, with the hearts of those he loves. And it was painful for him to see that you are sinning because when you sin, you break his heart. If you are morally offended at this young man who owed everything to his mother and yet he goes off and ignored her, you should be offended at yourself because indeed there's a God who created you and sustained you and you owe him everything. And yet, when you sin, you break his heart, you trample on his heart. And not only that, not only Jesus was troubled in spirit, but Remember last week, he washed Judas' feet. Friends, that's quite amazing, isn't it? He knew Judas would betray him. If I were Jesus when I washed the disciples' feet, and then when it came to Judas, I said, hmm, not you, not a chance, not in a million years, and then move on to John or to Peter or maybe not Peter as well, right? But he washed Judas' feet. And that's why a commentator said this, Judas went to betray Jesus, and he did so with clean feet. Not only that, not only he was troubled in spirit, not only he washed Judas' feet, he gave him bread. And in the ancient Near East culture, if you give bread to someone during a meal, that shows care and honor and love towards that person, just like what we do today. You know, when I'm uh, invited uh, to, to um, a university in China, I remember we sit in a, a big table, round table, and then suddenly somebody from the other end of the table, because it's a big table, um, stood up and then uh, brought a glass of wine or a glass of tea, a cup of tea, and then said, "Cheers! Uh, thank you for coming and blah, blah, blah. You know, Basically to honor and respect and so on. And it's the same thing with Jesus. He gave the bread to Judas saying that I did love you. Almost as if Jesus gave a chance for Judas to not do what he was supposed to do. He's saying to Judas, I see you all the way to the bottom, I know everything, I know what you're about to do and I still love you. See friends, Judas was confronted by grace upon grace upon grace. If the washing of feet displayed a degree of sacrificial love that Jesus had towards Judas, the giving of the bread to Judas showed the height of Jesus' love towards his enemy. But at that point, when Judas received the bread, he went out and it says, it was night. It was night. Paul Washer wrote this in one of his uh, books. I've given God countless reasons not to love me, None of them have been strong enough to change him. Jesus kept showing his love in that passage to Judas. No matter what Judas would do, Jesus still loved him. And yet Jesus never forced people to love him because we're not robots. So Judas kept going what he was going to do. He went into the night now, when, when John wrote um, the last um, slide, the next slide, um, when John wrote, and it was night, he was not just telling us, this is not daytime, ladies and gentlemen, this is already evening. No, that's not what he meant. Because the great literary, uh, literary theme on the book of John is darkness and light. He was saying that Judas plunged himself into not only physical darkness, but more importantly, spiritual darkness. Judas had this explosion of God's grace, and yet, he still remained in his sin. Why? That is to say, because Judas never gave Jesus Christ his heart. John 664 says this, "Because some of you do not believe. for Jesus knew from the beginning who those uh, were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So Judas was never a true believer. He was a hypocrite. He had never believed in Jesus. And that's a tragic story of how close a person can come to salvation and yet be lost forever. But here is how the gospel connects to our story today. Judas went into the darkness of night but on the cross, the darkness came down on Jesus. Matthew 27, verse 45, said this, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It should have been Judas! who was forsaken by God, but it was Jesus. The darkness of sin that Judas deserved came down on Jesus so that when you and I believe, he can say to us this morning, I have seen you. I see you to the bottom of your hearts. I see everything you have done to me. And I see everything you're going to do to me when you betray me yet again. I see the stuff in your heart that you cannot even admit is there, that small corner of evil in your hearts. And yet I love you anyway. Friends, Judas' life ended in tragic. He was filled with remorse, but not repentance. He knew his life messed up, but he did not run to Jesus. He ran to the religious leaders and returned the blood money. Of course, he was filled with remorse, but he did not repent. Had he repented, he would have gone to Jesus, not to the religious leaders. What a tragedy. But it is a tragedy worth telling. It's a tragedy that you and I should seriously ponder in our hearts. Tragedy that becomes a warning to those of us who have abandoned Christ. Tragedy that should be a warning to those of us who love Christ, of how precious Christ is. So I want to invite you this morning to repent. To repent of what you have done to Christ all this time. Because that's the only path that leads to life. Because the one whom you betrayed loves you even as you betrayed him, because he went to the cross to die the death that you and I deserve. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the tragedy of Judas really should teach us that the best